Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. John chapter 13 this morning. This is an incredible passage where we find just, a, just a, one of the most important aspects of what Jesus will do in his last, day, last moments of his life. Now, how many of you guys, how many of you ladies like pedicures? Anybody here love a pedicure, you know? And, and how many of you guys that like to act like ladies like pedicures? You can go, go ahead and raise your hand if you like, you know? Any guys that like, okay, Steve does. But Steve's got a beard, so it's kind of weird, but it's okay. Listen, I'm about to ruin your day. So if you like pedicures and you go to a nail salon, you already know this probably, but dude, do you know how disgusting those foot baths are? Like they are so disgusting. They're full of fungus and disease and bacteria. If they, and, and, and particularly those whirlpool ones, you know, where the dead skin gets trapped inside the stuff, you know, and then when they turn it on, it's floating around in there and you're like, wow, that you're thinking it's really working on you, but actually it's the person before you that's their dead skin floating around in there. So pretty disgusting, but do you know if they don't properly sanitize uh, the, the instruments they use on your feet and the, and the, uh, the bath itself, man, that, that, that all that nasty, disgusting bacteria like gets on you and, and you can get infection and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it, you know why? Because feet are just nasty. Feet are just disgusting, man. They're just, they are just yucky, man. I mean, like, like do you know 25% of people by age 40 will have some kind of fungal issue on their foot. And, and like, by the time you're a senior, it doubles. It's like 50% of people. Like, I could kill you with statistics about feet fungal and all this kind of stuff, but you don't want to hear that. That's not why we're here. But I'm just telling you that, man, my point is that feet are nasty, and they're in need of washing for sure, man. We need to wash some feet, not just physically, but also spiritually. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Stand with me, if you would, please. We're going to read one of the um, most famous foot washings in the Bible. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured, out, he poured a water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to, not, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you were clean. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for this illustration that you have provided for us in your word. And Lord, it, is, it, is, it has multiple applications, and yet it has one meaning. You spoke it into existence for one purpose, 
Lord, it has one interpretation. And we ask that you would help us to see it this morning. Not only to see it, Lord, not only to hear it, but to apply it. You would help us break our hearts, Lord. Break the pride away from us. Lord, let us not be Peter's in this place that refuse the washing of our feet, Lord. We're desperate to be washed by you today. We ask that you would speak into our lives right now, Lord. We pray you would separate religion from relationship in this place this morning. You would help us to understand that you desire intimate relationship with us. And so let us come to you in that vein, Lord, relationship. May you speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What would you do if you knew you had only a few hours to live? If you, you knew that you had less than 24 hours to live, how would you spend your time? What would you do? How would you occupy those moments of your, of your, last, your last moments of life? Now, if, if I'm 100% honest with you, and I'm in that situation, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about my comfort. I'm thinking about my ease. I'm thinking about myself. And yet we find in these moments, Jesus, in that very predicament, these are the last few hours of his life. He's not focused on himself at all. In fact, he turns his heart towards his disciples even more intensely, even more purposefully. He, he, he starts to speak to them in intimate ways that they, that, that they might understand these things, although they don't get them in the moment. They will get them eventually. John chapter 13 marks a mon monumental moment in Jesus' life. These are literally his last words to his disciples. In just a few hours, he is going to be turned over to the religious leaders, and that is going to start a cascade that will lead him to the cross, and he will die. Less than 24 hours, he will be hanging on a cross. And yet we find, in his last moments, some of his deepest teaching to his disciples directly. We find, you know, here, the washing of the feet. We find him continue to pour in. He, John, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are some of the deepest, richest uh, um, teachings from Jesus directly to his disciples. In fact, when you get to John 17, Jesus is literally pouring out his heart, you know, as a prayer for his disciples as he's making intercession for them. Jesus wasn't focused on himself. Even in the very last moments of his life, he was thinking about his disciples and he was thinking about you and I. Chronologically, again, this is Thursday evening. It's about 6 p.m. or so, the, the lamb from the Passover has been slain already. They are prepared to sit down and have dinner. Last week, we looked at Jesus sending his disciples into Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover meal. Jesus told them exactly what to do, and they, they followed exactly what he said, and it was exactly as what he told them would happen. He, he, it, it happened exactly that way. And now they find themselves sitting at a table. Passover lamb has been slain. It's all prepared for them. And Jesus does, he, he begins to speak specifically into their lives. Now, uh, this, is, this is what is called a parable in action. 
what Jesus does here. He's illustrating something. It's a parable. He's casting alongside a truth, a heavenly principle, into an earthly example. But he, in this particular form, he actually does it. Like, he becomes the parable himself. He illustrates this incredible truth. Now, at first glance, you might think, like, well, of course this is about humility. Of course it is, because look how humble Jesus is. He takes, you know, to, to do what he did, does in this passage, where he humbles himself, literally, he becomes the lowest slave in the place there. That was the position of a, a foot washer. They were the lowest of the lowest slaves. In fact, if there were Gentiles in the room, uh, Gentile slaves, and they were Jew slaves, even the lowest Jew would refer to the Gentile. No, that's your work. That's your work. This is not my work. I don't wash feet. That's for the lowest. And so there is an incredible example of humility, but that isn't the point of the passage. Although it is illustrated, and it's something that we can apply into our lives. Many people also teach that, you know, this particular passage, you know, it, it is all about um, Jesus serving his disciples here. He, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to, to serve and all of that. And he is serving them, certainly. He's serving them greatly. He's being an incredible example. But, but although it is, he's being a humble servant to his disciples, the, the main point of the passage isn't that. Most people will teach it that way, but I think it, there's something else in this passage that becomes the main focus of what Jesus says, and therefore, what he wants to apply, what he wants us to take out of this and apply into our lives, and it's all about forgiveness, and it's all about forgiveness in this passage, and I'll show you why in a minute, but it is very clear. Now, what we find in John 13 is quite literally a how-to guide of washing feet like Jesus. Washing feet like Jesus, that's the title of my message, and I've divided these 20 verses up into three sections relating to the washing of the feet. First, we find the motive, then the model, and then the meaning. We start with the motive behind the washing. Look at verse 1 there. We see now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own uh, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, Jesus understands his fate at this juncture, at, at this point in time. You, you might recall um, from a few lessons ago, a few weeks ago, we were in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 23, and we find, remember, some Gentiles that came to Jesus and they wanted to meet with him. And when they came to him, in John chapter 20, verse 23, he said this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So at that moment in time, literally Jesus understood that it was now time for him to give up his life. It's not like it's a mystery. He knows exactly how it's going to transpire. He knows that the Passover time is when he will be delivered up. He knows that he will be crucified the next day. He understands all of these things. It's been revealed to him, not because he's divine, because he is God, but because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's been given word of knowledge. He's been given some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And so he's been given this understanding, and he is applying it to his life. He understands that now is the time that he will glorify. His life is going to end shortly, but he understood that his task was greater than his life. Some of us don't get that yet. Some of us think our life is greater than our created task. Some of us think that we're on our own journey, doing
doing our own thing, and yet God created us for something specific, and he wants you to know that your life is not greater than what your purpose is. Like to preserve your life over what he created and designed you for would be, you know, to, to get, it, get your priorities mixed up. Like Jesus doesn't get his priorities mixed up. He says, I am about my father's business. If I mess up my father's business, we have no hope. So Jesus would, would say to us, are you, what business are you about this morning? Because he's about his father's business. And I promise you, when you're about the father's business, he starts to reveal things to you that you'll miss if you're not about his business. Like when you make your life about his business, he starts to speak to you very specifically about what your purpose is. And some of you are like, well, I, I don't understand what I'm created for. Well, how desperate are you seeking him to understand that? How desperate are you? Are you as desperate to find that, that purpose as you are to breathe your next breath? Because Jesus said, what good is it for you to preserve your life in this life and, and, and really miss the whole point of it all? And that is to come to a place where you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter if you gain the whole world. In the end, if you lose your soul, if you end up, you know, when, when the father separates the sheep from the goats and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. And you are cast into hellfire. And there's judgment and wrath coming down upon you because you chose to make your life more important than your purpose. And so Jesus doesn't do that. He understands what this is all about. He understands what's happening and he's about his father's business. You can under, you got to think of it this way. He understands he's the Passover lamb. Here he has a Passover lamb slain literally sitting on his table before him. They're about to partake, and he's thinking, that's me. That's my purpose. But I'm not going to cower from it. I'm not going to allow, you know, fear to overtake me, to stop me from doing what I'm called to do. And so Jesus understands that he is going to become the lamb that covers and protects us from the wrath of God. At this point, you know, Jesus is... Here in, in the room, and I, get, I already said this, but I'll say it again because that's where I am in my notes, and you guys will get it anyway. But at this point, the lamb's been slain and prepared. They're about to eat. And all Jesus could think about is his own. Did you see that in there? Did you see what it says right here? In, in verse 2 right there during supper? Uh, is it verse 1 there? When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart to this world, and the Father having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus Christ is loving his own here. He, he isn't dwelling on the fact that, that many of them are going to sell him out in a few moments. Many of them are going to turn away. Every single one of them will abandon him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'll stand alone. He's not thinking about how they're going to treat him. He's not thinking about, you know, how Judas there is going to turn him over and betray him with a kiss. He knows these things, but he's not thinking about these things. He's not focused on these things. He's focused on what he's called to do. He's called to love the ones that the Father has given him. And he is loving them because they are his own. Now, here's the thing is there is this general love that God has for the world. For God so loved the world, and that is encompassing everybody and anyone who would live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is that kind of love that God has for the world. And it's not a different kind of love. Don't misunderstand me. But the kind of love that Jesus has for his, his, his own is the same love that he has for those who are not his own. But it's 
a special kind of love at the same token. It, it's, it's different in the sense that it's not about the volume. He loves us all the same. You know, it's not like he has a different kind of love, like it's circumstantial for some and it's, it's unconditional to others. It's all the same that way. But for some, he has a, a, a general love that he would die for you. But then for others, he has, for his own, he has a relational kind of love. It's an intimate kind of love. It's an intimacy with him. It's a personal relationship with him. It would be like me telling you, you know, like, hey, I love my wife, and you would get what I mean by that. But when I say I love your wife, you're kind of like, well, hold on a second. What do you mean you love my wife? What do you mean you love my wife? Well, I don't love your wife. You know, I love my wife in, in the same way, but, but in a different way, in the sense that it's a special relationship. It's a personal, intimate relationship I have with my wife. But I do love your wives. You know, not in that way. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, think of it this way also. If you still in serve in children's ministry and you have your own kids and then you have those other kids, you love your own and you love those kids, but you love your own. You know what I mean? I mean, you love them. There's a special relationship with them. That's what Jesus is saying here. He loves his own. He loves you. Like he loves you with a personal relationship kind of love for you. He wants to be in personal relationship with each and every single one of us. And he loves us and he's drawing us in because he wants to have an intimacy with you and I. He longs to be in personal intimate relationship with you. And those are his own. Those are his. Why are they his? Because he drew them and they responded. He said, oh, Lord, you're so good that you would die on, for the, on the cross for me, that you would shed your blood, you would die and rise again from the dead. Man, Lord, in my sin, in the, in, in the moments of my darkest hours, you would die for me, Lord, and you would turn your life over to him, and then you become his own. Contrary to popular belief, and I've said this before, we are not all God's children. God loves the whole world, but we're not all his children. Those who become his own come through Jesus Christ. They come in personal relationship with him. Now look at this. What is Jesus' motive? It's love. Everything that he will do from this moment on, and it always has been actually, is, is, is love. Love is his motive. He loved them. He loved them with, with a special kind of love. And so he wants them to know that not only did he, does he love them now, but he will love them forever. He will love them to the end. Now that has a couple different meanings. Not only will Jesus love them to the point of death, right, that he's going to die, he's going to lay his life down, but Jesus will love them eternally, forever and ever and ever. He will love you forever and ever and ever. And do you know that nothing can separate you from his love? Not a single thing. If you're his own, nothing can separate you from his love. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, 8, verses 35 through 39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what that means? That means that nothing you encounter in your life will separate you from his love. It doesn't matter how much you sin. It doesn't matter how dark you go. It doesn't matter, you know, what you endure. All of those things, he loves you. And he will love you to the end. And he will be with you to the end. He will not abandon you. He will walk you through every circumstance in life. And the more that we understand that, the more we get why God can work everything out for the good of those who love him. Because he's right there with you. Because he's working through every circumstance and every situation. He's standing with you and he's walking with you and he's got your hand and he is loving you. And he will not leave you, forsake you. Some of us think like, well, it doesn't feel like he loves me. It doesn't feel like he loves me because of the things that I'm encountering. Because we associate, you know, absence of pain or suffering with love. We say like, you can't love somebody if you inflict pain in their life or suffering in their life, or you, or you allow it. If you're controlling, you allow it. Well, no, that's not true. Because oftentimes, love does insert pain in a person's life. Because you love somebody, you do insert pain in their life. A parent to a child. When my kids disobey, I love them. And because I love them, I discipline them. I insert pain in their life because I love them, and I want them to grow, and I want them to change so that they can become more like Jesus. And so God would do that in our lives. He would love us that much that he would say, I'm going to have to chastise my child, the one that I love. I'm inserting some pain, some suffering, something into their life. I'm allowing it, you know, whatever it might be, but I'm doing it because I love them and because it's for their betterment, because he can work everything out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So you might be here this morning and you're saying, well, it sure doesn't feel like He loves me. And I would tell you that that is the enemy speaking into your life, that Jesus does love you and he's with you and he's walking through this thing that you're going through right now and he will see you through it. You just trust him and take him at his word. You just stand fast at his word and, you know, you understand, Lord, I know you're in control, but I'm not going to question why you're allowing these things. I'm going to trust you to know that it's going to work out for my good. And you just trust him because he loves you. How much more does he have to do to show you that he loves you? What more does he have to do? How how much more does he have to illustrate that I would stretch out my arms for you, that I love you so much that I would give my life up for you? How much more does he have to do? He's done done the, the greatest thing that he could do. He said, you have no hope, and I'm gonna give you hope by giving up my own life. That's how much you mean to me. Jesus' love is a love that is an everlasting love for those that are his own. And not even death can separate you from him. Not even death. Not his death and not your death. He will be with you. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. The fact that you have a breath in your lungs right now, that you woke up this morning, 
that you had the strength to get in your car and drive to this place and get out and come and worship him shows you that he's faithful to you because you have an, you have an enemy that is wanting to devour you, to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and he will do everything he can to stop you, but God is for you. He's not against you. And so he strengthens you and he equips you and he allows you to be at present in this moment because he loves you and he's faithful and he will not turn his back on you. Christ loves us with an everlasting love and he'll be faithful. Jesus sees the heart of every one of his disciples in this moment as he's sitting here having supper. He's getting ready to break bread with these dudes. And he's like, man, I see every one of your hearts. I know, I know for instance, you, Judas, I know that you have the devil in you. And I know that you're going to betray me, but I'm going to love you anyway. And I'm going to reach out to you. And as you see, we work through this here. Jesus is continuing to work. He's continuing to reach out to Judas, who he knows already is going to betray him. He understands these things, and yet he still still washes his feet. How's that work? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there's... There's two kinds of love, his own and then the love and the, the world's kind of love. And they're both there in the, at this dinner here. Jesus knows the motive of every one of these things. And so the reason that he then rises up from supper and he begins to take the servant's position is because he's loving them. He's loving them. He's ministering to them. If, if you don't think that Jesus is focusing on you right now, you're completely mistaken. Even though he sees every single thing that's going on in your life, he knows every thought, he knows every action, he knows everything about you, he's still loving you and he's still serving you. And he's still making intercession for you. He's still standing in the gap between you and the Father and he's saying, I paid for that. And I paid for that. And I paid for that. And then he's ministering to you and he says, come on, what are you doing? Come on. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking into your heart saying, come on, live for me. Don't get off track. Be about my father's business. Don't get lost in that. So we have the motive behind the washing here, which is love. Next, we see the model. Jesus actually puts his love into action here in verse 4 here. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, I do not wash. If I do not wash you, you can have no share with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet, but only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And notice here, Jesus putting his love into action. What does he do? It says here that he laid aside his garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now, this is an incredible illustration of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. You might think like, well, what's the big deal? He, he took off his outer garment, he laid it to the side, he put a towel around his waist, and he starts to serve them. Big deal. It is a big deal. 
It's an incredible deal because this is literally what he did when he left heaven to come to earth. It's literally what he did. He took off his outer garment of his glory and he laid it aside. And he came and he wrapped himself up in humanity and he came to live and to die for you. The servantship that we see here in Jesus Christ is a simple illustration of what he has already done. And the fact that he's standing before them as a man. That he took off his outer garment and that he laid it aside. Philippians 2, 7 through 8 says this. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It says here that Jesus emptied himself. He literally laid aside his heavenly garments and clothed himself in, in the towel of humanity to become a servant of all. What was Jesus doing here? He was doing what he had already done, but to a much smaller extent because he had already laid aside his garment. Now, he didn't cease to be God while he was in. He was human, but he was also fully God at the same time. But he laid aside his glory. He took off his glory and he said, I will come and I will live and I will die for them. And he, he, he allowed himself to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You might, you know, what we often think is that Jesus, the reason why he was able to do what he did is because he was God. And although that is true, that's not why he lived sinlessly. The reason he lived sinlessly is because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was with him. And so that leaves you with no excuse, doesn't it? You're filled with the same spirit that Jesus Christ was filled with. I'm filled with the same spirit that Jesus Christ was filled with. That means that I have power within me to live the way that Jesus lived, to do the things that Jesus did. I have the power within me living and abiding inside of me to do the same things Jesus did. And he even said even to the greater extent. And so the, the idea of giving yourself an excuse of just saying, well, we're all sinners and we sin... Well, that is true. But what I would say to you is that you're filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, it, it gives us power to live righteously for Christ. He, 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 he enables us to set aside the flesh. He equips us to do the work that we're called to do if we walk in Him. And it's a choice. Jesus chose to walk in the Spirit. Oh, you know, think of it this way. When Jesus went into the desert and he was being tempted by the devil, if it wasn't a temptation for him, then what was, the, what was the point? Like it was a temptation for him. That was the point. And it was the Holy Spirit in him that allowed him, that strengthened him, that enabled him to walk through that temptation successfully. Adam and Eve, they were sinless. Yet they sinned. They chose to walk outside of the will of God. They chose to do that. And so what happens is when you and I get saved and the Spirit of God comes inside of us, we are now on equal footing with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden created before the fall. And now we have Christ in us in probably far greater extent because the Holy Spirit is residing inside of us. We have the power to live the life that God's calling us to live. Don't let yourself out so easy. Oh, am I speaking to myself? Oh, sorry. I am. Listen, Tim, 
Don't let yourself out so easily. Don't just cast the, the whole lump yourself into the, well, I'm just a sinner category. No, I am a sinner saved by grace, but filled with the Holy Spirit to live a life of newness that he has called me to, that he has allowed us to, amen? So walk in that. Jesus is illustrating what he's already done for us, and he will further illustrate this in the willingness that he will strip then not the, the, the earthly garments, his own humanity he will be stripped of. He will be wrapped in, in burial cloth, and then he'll be laid into a tomb. He's doing it even to a greater extent here. As he goes to the cross, and then he dies, and he's buried, and then he raises again from the dead. He is it's a, it's a mind-blowing illustration of what he's doing here. He's modeling what it means to follow him. Jesus said in, John, in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He's saying to be a follower, you must humble yourself, set aside your earthly garments so that you can be clothed with Christ. You have to take off that outer garment, and you have to put on the robe of righteousness. The towel that Jesus Christ provides is far greater than the garment you're wearing now. It is far greater, and he wants to put that on you, but you have to come to him. You have to allow him to put that on you. Here, here we find he gets up from supper, and he girds himself with the towel, and he begins to wipe his, he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, this is insane that the Son of God is doing this. That he would, he would become the lowest slave here. And that he would, he would wash his own disciples' feet. You know why he's doing it? Because nobody else would do it. Because nobody else would do it. Luke 22 tells us that his disciples are so busy talking about, you know, grumbling amongst themselves about how great they are. Oh, well, you're really great, and you're really great, and, but I'm greater, and, you know, I think I'll probably sit in the right hand of God. You know, you probably sit on the left. You know, who knows, but I, I think I'm probably a little greater than you. And they're sitting around talking and grumbling about how great they are, and the Son of God gets up from the table, and he starts to wash feet because they are so wrapped up in themselves. He's about to die. They have no clue what's going on, but they're wrapped up in their own deal. That happens to us, guys. We're so busy thinking about how great we are that we forget about how great he is. And the Son of God would get up and he would serve you. That he would wash your feet. Now, the way that they would sit during this time is they would sit in a, at a triplinium table, which is kind of a U-shaped table. And, you know, contrary to what I believed before as I studied this passage for this particular time, I found out that positionally the way that they sat is different than I thought. I thought that the, 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 the host would sit in the center of the table, the U, and then from right to left it would go out to the least. But actually that's not the case. What I found out in my studies is, is really what would happen is, you know, the, the, a, a trusted friend would sit on the right end and then the host and then the guest of honor and then it would go around the U all the way to the other side where the least would sit on that side. Probably the guy that would wash people's feet would sit on over there. If they allowed that servant to sit at the table, he would take that position. And what's interesting is the way that it's, this is laid out is you have John the Apostle. And, and, and by the way, they would kind of lean on their left side and they would 
you know, lean on their, their forearm and they would, their feet would be extended out towards the back. They'd be laying on a mat and they'd have this little table. It's kind of a knee-high table and the food would be there and the servant would come in the middle and put the food in and all that and they would, they would lean and they would eat and they would kind of lean in towards the center. And so that's why when, when we see that John leaned into Jesus, that he's leaning to the left and he puts his head on his chest. Well, well John was next to Jesus. He was in the position of, of a trusted friend. And no doubt, the very next position we find, the one sitting in the place of honor is, is none other than Judas Iscariot. He's in the place of honor at this table. And the reason we know that is because in Matthew 26, it says that he ate out of the same bowl with Jesus. The only way he could have done that is if he was right there with him. And here's the interesting thing. Peter is on the exact opposite side of John, so he's, on the, he's in the servant of all position. He's at the lowliest position position at the table. John is the youngest disciple of them all. Peter is the oldest. And Peter is the chief apostle. He's the one that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church through you, Peter. And he's the one that's going to stand. Where does Jesus position him? The last. He positions him in the servant of all. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what we're called to be. If Jesus could, if all of them could sit in that position, that's where he would have put them. Here, let's all sit over here because that's where we're called to be. We're called to be the servant of all. And so Jesus would get up, and no doubt his disciples at this point are just blown away. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? No one's saying a word, but Jesus just gets down on his knees, and he starts to wipe their dirty feet. Their feet would just be disgusting. Dirt, you know, all over them. You know, who knows if they stepped in some manure on the way over. You know, you don't know. But what you know is that their feet are gross, and that's why they did this. This was customary in the culture. Whether you came from a, a bath even, you know, you would, your feet would be soiled immediately. The dust of the ground. So he begins to just wipe their feet and wash their feet. And, and it says that he gets to the point where he comes over to Peter. And, and he says, Peter, give me your feet. It's like, Lord, he stops Jesus right in his tracks. He's, at this point, he's the only one in the passage that the Holy Spirit reveals to us that, that's, that resists us at all. Right? Everybody else is just probably shocked. And yet Peter says, hold on a second, because Peter likes to speak. Peter likes to speak before he thinks. So he had a lot of time to think. He's still not getting it. And he gets to the end of Peter. Peter says, hold on a second, Jesus. You wash my feet? And Jesus tries to reason with him. You ever try to reason with a Peter? <laughs> it don't work. You know, but he says this. Um, he says, Peter, you don't know what I'm doing right now but you'll understand it later. Anybody in that category? Anybody in there right now where you're saying, Jesus is saying, you don't know what I'm doing right now, but you will later. You want to say, no, I don't, I don't want later. I want now. I want to understand what you're doing right now because I'm in it right now and I need to know what you're doing because I need to be in control of this. He's saying, no, no, just trust me because I'm in control. And if I'm your Lord, then just let me be your Lord and I'll take care of it because I love you. But you have to let me lead you in this situation. You've got to trust me and I'll see you through. You don't know what I'm doing right now, but you will. It's the old quote from Apollo Creed to Rocky in Rocky, chapter, Rocky 4 where he's going against, a, you know, Durago, you know, and he says, Stallion, you don't know. What this is all about now, but you will when it's over. It's that same idea. Jesus is saying, when I rise from the dead, you will understand what this is all about, but let me finish, Peter. Peter says, no way. You're not washing my feet. You're not washing my feet. 
Jesus, there's no way I'm giving these things over to you. Now, at first, it seems pretty humble, right? It seems like there's a picture of humility there, like, oh, Lord, you would wash my feet, not mine. I mean, look at me, Lord. But then he says, no, you won't wash my feet. Pride. You see, it's interesting how uh, humility can come in the deceptive form of pride, and we can think we're being humble when actually we're being prideful. And Peter's being prideful in this moment. He's not allowing Jesus to serve him. Not allowing the Son of God to serve you. Some of you have a problem with other people serving you, and you're so prideful, you won't let it happen. And Jesus tells Peter, man, if you won't let me serve you, you can't have a part with me. Now, he's not saying you can't have salvation. What he's saying is you can't have relationship with me. Listen, if, if, you, if you have a problem with people serving you, then you need to find ways to allow people to serve you to break you of that because it's pride. And that pride will not only manifest itself in that particular place, but it'll manifest itself in all kinds of different places in your life. So you want to humble yourself. You want to say, Lord, you want to serve me in this area? Serve me. Hey, hey, can I come over and help you? No, no, I don't, I don't need help. And you know what? I'll be first to admit I'm terrible at this. I love to help other people, but I don't like to ask other people for help, and I don't like other people serving me. And yet, that is pride. It's pride, flat out. Lord, break me of my pride that I wouldn't be prideful in this way. I want to allow you to serve. I'm not, are you a Peter that's pulling your feet back from him, saying you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus? It's pride. Jesus would say, man, you can't have any relationship with me if you don't let me serve you like this. Jesus says, Peter, you can't have a part with me. And at that point in the moment, Peter understands who Jesus is. He loves Jesus. Peter's a big oaf, but he loves Jesus. And when Jesus says that, it's, I, I just have this idea. He starts kicking off his shoes. I'm doing this. But, you know, he's like taking his shirt off. Do it all, Lord. Just give me a bath, you know. Just, just, just do it all. Just take me fully, you know. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. I ain't serving like that, man. But I, you know, he says, hold on a second, Peter. I just need to wash your feet. And he says something interesting. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean. He's talking to Peter, but not everyone is. Not everyone here is clean. What is he talking about? Peter is washed already in the blood of Christ. He is redeemed. He is regenerated. He has been redeemed by Christ already. He says, you're clean, Peter. You're okay. You don't need a bath. You don't need to be saved again. You do need to have your feet washed. What does he mean? There is a relationship that you and I have with Jesus from the point that you come to Christ till the day you go home of you having to come to him on a continual basis and him wash your feet from the world. To wash the feet, of the, the dust of the world off your feet because the world is dirty. And when we go into the world, we get dust all over us. We get the world on us. And Jesus says, when you fall and you sin, you, gotta, you need to come and let me wash your feet I need to continually wash your feet. It's not a matter of salvation. He's already saved. He's already clean. It's a matter of sanctification. It's a matter of a continual, you know, relationship with Christ in that intimacy that says, Lord, I'm going to let you wash my feet over and over and over again. I'm not going to withhold my sin from you. 
I'm going to come in repentance, and I'm going to allow you to wash my feet over and over again. And, and how many of you have ever just come to Jesus, you know, for the hundredth time, and you're like, Lord, there's my feet again, Lord. They're all dirty. Lord, I, I can't keep doing this. They keep coming over and over, and he says, listen, I got to wash your feet. I have to. You have to let me. I know you've done it over and over and over again, but my grace is sufficient. For where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. I love you that much that I will wash the same dirt off your feet over and over again because I love you. That is no excuse to sin. That is no excuse to say, Jesus, I'm going to go do what I want. That's a different problem. That's maybe even a willfulness to go and live your life outside of Christ. Maybe you're not saved at all. Maybe you never came to Christ in the first place. I don't know. Something you have to figure out with the Lord. What I'm saying is, is that there is not a re-re-regeneration. He's washed. He's clean already, but not all of them were clean. Not all of them have been washed. Not all of them had, the, had been bathed yet. Judas is the one that's unclean. Jesus is reaching out to Judas continually through this dinner, and he's telling him, not all of you are clean, but I wish you would be. Not all of you are clean. Some of you, need to, some of you are going to betray me. And he's continually looking at Judas, who's sitting in the place of honor, and he's trying to reach him. And he's hardened his heart and hardened his heart, and he's allowed Satan into his life. And he will not repent. And guess what? When he turns Jesus over and he's crucified, then he goes and throws the money back to the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he runs outside of the town, and he ends up hanging himself because he has worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow that leads to repentance. It's not enough to be sorry. You have to be you have to be willing to humble yourself and come to Christ and confess your sin. Not only that, but to turn away from it. Lord, I'm turning my back on it. I'm going the exact opposite way. Peter, you got to let me clean your feet. It keeps you in right relationship with me. I want to be intimate with you over and over and over again. And if you don't let me wash your feet, that intimacy will be gone. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't feel the Lord at all. We don't walk by feelings, but I don't sense him. I don't sense his presence. I don't know what he's doing in my life at this point. I haven't heard from him. It feels like I'm in this desert of dryness. And, and maybe, you know, I'm not saying there is, but maybe there's sin in your life. Maybe there's unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life. And Jesus is saying, until you, until you let me wash your feet of that, I can't have that intimacy that I want to have with you. So you say, Lord. You just come to him and you let him do it. The model here of what Jesus is saying is he's he he fully in humility. He is serving these guys, but he is forgiving them. It's a forgiveness thing. He says, I, you know, you're forgiven, you're clean, but I need to restore you in right relationship with me over and over and over again through the sanctification process. You don't have to get saved again but you do have to repent and let me wash your feet. He gets to the meaning here in verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he put the outer garment on um, and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash 
one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you now this, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus now reveals the meaning behind the foot washing, and it was that you and I, he says, I did this, that you would also wash each other's feet. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's not asking us to set up foot washings on Sunday nights and have continual foot washings over and over and over again. Some people do that, and that's fine, but he's not asking for ceremony. He's not asking for ritual. He's asking for you and I to forgive one another over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we blow it with each other. That's why. Because we blow it. And he's saying that if you guys don't wash each other's feet with that forgiveness and restore that relationship in intimacy, there's no way that you can be unified. And if you can't be unified, you're going to be powerless to go into the world because there is an enemy that is, you know, coming after you. We need one another. Jesus is saying you've got to be unified. And the way that you unify is that you continually wash each other's feet. You just don't wash the people's feet that you like. Like, you know, when somebody blows it against you, that's the person you wash their feet. You come to them and say, hey, I'm going to wash your feet. Did you notice that Jesus didn't wait for them to get up and say, will you wash my feet, Jesus? That he actually came to them? What is he saying? The Bible says if you know that somebody has something against you, you go to them. Like, forget this whole idea of, well, they haven't asked. They haven't asked. That's just full-on grudge holding. That, you're just giving yourself an excuse to, to live in sin. So Jesus would say, you go. You go just as I have come in humility in serving your brother or your sister. And you go to them and you say, hey, we got something to talk about. There's something that happened between you and I. And I need, I need um, you, know, you to understand that you, know, you really affected me because I believe you sinned against me this area. I believe that, you know, you, you did this, and, you know, my heart is for restoration, but I, I have to tell you what you did in order for you to know. And, you know, and by doing this, you're, 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 in a sense, you're washing their feet. You're saying, I'm extending that hand of forgiveness. I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you. I'm telling you what's going on between us because I want to restore relationship. You're not responsible for what they say. You're not responsible for how they act towards you when you do that, but you are responsible to wash their feet. And if you're holding back forgiveness from somebody, then, then you are unwilling to wash their feet. Therefore, you're unwilling to be Christ-like. You're unwilling to, you know, forgive as you've been forgiven. And Jesus would say, man, what is wrong with you? Maybe you need to look at yourself in the mirror a little bit. And consider who you really are. You're a sinner and you sin. And when you sin, you want people to forgive you. 
How dare you hold back forgiveness from somebody else? Jesus would say, you wash their feet. You need to forgive them. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has, as God in Christ forgave you. He knows the difficulty to forgive. He knows how hard it is for you. That's why he gave you extra grace. That's why he poured a little more Holy Spirit in some of you. He said, man, this person needs a little bit extra over here in this forgiveness category because they withhold forgiveness and they have a problem with grudges. We have to be willing to forgive one another. Here's what Jesus said. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for I am. So what he says is, I am your teacher. And the fact that I have the right to instruct you, and I'm instructing you to forgive, you are right in that to call me teacher. But you are also right in to call me Lord because I have the right to command you to do it. Not only do I have the right to instruct you as teacher, but I have the right to command you to do it as Lord. And you confess that with your own mouth. When you made him Lord of your life, you submitted to him. You surrendered your life to his authority. And you said, Lord, I'm submitting myself to you. And he says, okay, forgive your brothers. You go wash their feet. You don't have to do it physically. I mean, it's, I guess it's a cool thing if you want to. But the idea is that we forgive one another. It's a heart thing. It would do no good for us to have a bunch of, bunch of you know, little baths up here, you know, fungus all creeping out of it and everything, you know, and, and we would we'd start to wash each other's feet and all this stuff, but have no heart connection to it. Jesus would say, well, that was worthless. Was worthless. You're trying to reach him through works. You're trying to reach God through, through you know, trying to do something to get favor with him. And what he says is, just obey my word. Just abide in me. And that's what he wants us to do. He says, you're not greater than your master. Your master's done this. If anybody <laughs> had, had any reason to hold, withhold forgiveness, it was Jesus. He didn't do anything, but he died for you, and he forgave you. He, when you came to him, man, he didn't say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you, on the other hand, you've done, a, you've done too much. No, no, he received you in. And he was waiting for you to come. And, and he continues to receive you over and over again as you come into him and you wa let, he washes your feet and restores that relationship. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Don't let this just, just fall upon deaf ears this morning. Don't just be a hearer, but be a doer is what he's saying. Apply this to your life. And it goes beyond the four walls of this place. If there's people in your life that you've not forgiven, you know, maybe this afternoon would be a good time for you to go to that person and say, look, here's some, here's some things. I'm a believer. I'm trying to follow the, 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 the Lord in this, and I need to talk to you about something. You know, when I became a believer, I had a burden on my heart to go to certain people that I wronged when I was not a believer and I went to uh, some specific people and I said, hey, I need to confess my sin to you because I did this stuff and you don't even know anything about it, but I need you to know 
that I did this because I am so guilty. You know, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm a Christian, and I want to live rightly, and I'm not, I can't make up for that. Christ died for it and all that kind of stuff. But I feel an obligation by the Holy Spirit to come to you and confess my sin and ask you to forgive me. And do you know, not, not, not even one of those people, <laughs> there's a whole list of them, but not even just, no, I'm just kidding, but there was a few, but, but um, not one of those people turned me away and said, no, I'll, I won't forgive you. Serve in humility. Humble yourself. And it's amazing how much a little bit of humility does to somebody. You know, how it breaks through the hardness of the heart. Be humble. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I I send receives me. You see, when somebody comes to you and they ask for forgiveness... Um, you know, Jesus is saying, when you receive them, you're receiving me. Saying, hey, I, I, it's Jesus there in that moment. Are you going to reject him? Are you going to be the Peter that pulls your feet back? I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not washing your feet. I'm not doing that. You're not going to let somebody wash your feet? Jesus said, if you receive them, you're receiving me. And if you receive me, you're receiving the Father. Because he and the Father are one, and you and I are one in him. So we abide in him. The Bible, here, what we find here is that we're to confess our sin, repent, to restore right relationship with the Lord, to clean, cleanse us of our sin. Not that you need it for salvation, but you need it for sanctification. Perhaps you're in need of Jesus to wash your feet this morning. Guess what? He's girded with a towel, and he's ready to wash your feet. He will do it, but you have to come to him. He's already laid it out saying, I will wash your feet. He's just saying, you come to me in repentance. You come to me and allow me to wash your feet because I want that to restore that intimacy with you once again. Maybe you're here this morning. You're withholding forgiveness. The Lord is calling you to forgive. He's, he's telling you, and you know it in your heart, and you don't know how you're going to do it, but you just step out in faith, and you just do what he says. You choose to love. Let that be the motive uh, for you to forgive, just as Jesus has done. And then you can wash other people's feet just like Jesus did. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the meaning behind it, God that this wasn't, wasn't some empty ceremony that didn't have any real meaning or purpose to it, Lord, but you washed their feet to help them understand the need to continually come to you and allow you to wash the dust of the world off of our feet. Lord, our feet get dirty. Our feet take us to places that we ought not go, Lord. We stand in, in company that we ought not stand in, Lord. We ask you this morning, Father, that you would just... Lord, wash our feet. We need our feet washed this morning. We need forgiveness from you, Lord. Our sin would be washed away, Lord. We know that we, some of us here this morning are clean. As Jesus said to Peter, you're clean, but you still need your feet washed, Pete. Maybe that's some of us this morning, Lord. Sin in our life, we need to wash that sin out of our lives, Lord. And so we're going to come today and we're just going to confess our sin to you. We're turning, or turning away from our sin, repenting and allowing you to wash our feet. 
And for others here this morning, Lord, they need to be the ones to wash. And that's a difficult thing for some. They don't even know how to approach it. But, Lord, we're believing in you this morning that if you command us to do something, your Holy Spirit will tell us exactly how to do it if we will take the steps of faith to follow after you. So this morning, would you just convict our hearts, Lord? There's things that we need to deal with, with one another, God, that we would do that. You did the greatest thing ever in giving your life up for us, God. Who are we to withhold anything? We ask that you would just work in your spirit right now, Lord, that you would just convict our hearts and just draw us into that place of intimacy, Lord, and direct us as our teacher and our Lord. We love you, God. We thank you. And as we continue to pray, if there's anyone here this morning that is not in right relationship with Jesus, maybe they are not clean, Jesus would say to you this morning that he wants to clean you. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to completely and totally transform your life, but you need to come to him and you need to receive him in to your heart. You need a bath this morning, and Jesus Christ will give you a bath, and he wants to do that. If that's you, you just slip your hand up in the air. We want to pray for you. want you to know that Jesus is offering eternal life for you this morning, forgive you of your sin, but you have to turn away from it, and you have to be willing to, to follow hard after him. It's not a simple prayer that just, you know, with empty words that, that, that don't lead to a transformed life. It's about transformation. It's saying, Lord, I don't like who I am. I want to be like you. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up. We want to pray with you a little, just a prayer of asking to receive Christ into your life. Listen, here's the reality. And this is what people don't like to hear is that there is, there is, there is a wrath waiting for those who will not come to Christ. Why do you think Judas, Jesus was reaching out to Judas because there is a wrath from God that comes down for sin upon the person who would sin against God. And God wants you to know this morning, if that's you, he wants to forgive you. You have to let him. He's done everything he can other than force you to come. And so if that's you this morning, just one more time, lift your hand up and we'll pray for you. Best decision you'll ever make in your life. And you know, it is, it is hands down the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. And so is there anyone here this morning at all? Lord, we thank you again for what you're going to continue to do in this service. And so we want to just ask your Holy Spirit to move now and just draw people to the altar, Lord, and may they just do their business before you. So we lift it up to you now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.